Good morning, everyone. Welcome to you. My name is Tim Harris. I'm pastor here at Woodburn. It's a packed house. Uh, we not able to do overflow this morning because uh, apparently the lightning storm last night knocked out some equipment. Uh, so we are uh, in here together. Uh, I'm glad to get off that front row, man. I needed to breathe. Uh, it, it, it's, it's packed in there. Uh, God bless you all. Open your Bibles to the book of Ezekiel chapter 1. Ezekiel chapter 1, still in the sermon series entitled Paranormal Activity, uh, wrapping that thing up today. Uh, finish up this morning by talking about uh, UFOs, aliens, extraterrestrials. We got any uh, extraterrestrial believers in here? Anybody believe? Anybody ever seen a UFO? Anybody? Anybody ever had one of those, uh, what is it, cattle mutilations where the aliens come and they exsanguinate the cow? I don't even know what that is, but it sounds horrible for the cow. They, they exsanguinate the cow. Anybody, any farmers ever had an exsanguinated cow? Uh, yeah, it, it's kind of interesting because they say that we typically don't believe in UFOs or taking that seriously until you see one. But the other really interesting thing is... Uh, if you look across the population, and, and there are statistics about these things, and you study uh, who tends to be abducted by aliens and who reports sightings of UFOs, and for that matter, whose cows get exsanguinated, it's almost never practicing Christians. Interesting? I'm not making that up. Sounds like something good a preacher would say. But really interestingly... It's rarely practicing Christians who see these things or, or get all fascinated uh, with, uh, with UFOs, uh, th 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 that sort of thing. Now, I'm not saying that, that, that it would be wrong to be interested. Uh, I, I'm interested, honestly. I am, I'm just that kind of geek, that kind of nerd. Uh, I love science. And, and when you start talking about uh, life in the universe, life on other planets, that it gets us to the questions in between that gap between faith and, and science. And I love science. And I love thinking about those things. And, and, and honestly, I, I'm interested in that way. So, so just nerd alert. Maybe I'm just preaching to, to other nerds today. But, but it's interesting and fascinating in our culture because since the, the, these questions of life on other planets and aliens and invasions and UFOs and all of that, since it has to do with science, then it does tend to be scientists who really sometimes push this kind of discovery and exploration and, and even the conversation. And let's be honest, there are a number of scientists who are atheists, not all of them, but some of them, and they do have a vested interest, and often they try to push this kind of conversation, that they really do want to imagine life on other planets, they want to discover it, because there is a, a sort of a widespread belief that if you can find life on other planets, that it disproves God. Now, I think that's silly. I, I don't see it that way at all, but there are some scientists and others who just simply believe if you could find evidence of life on other planets, then it sort of proves evolution, an atheistic kind of evolution, and, and therefore disproves the Bible, and, and therefore if we could find life on other planets, then we do away with all the major world religions. That's what some scientists say. I, I, I find that silly, but it gets even sillier on the other side. There are some people who actually say that, that, that maybe God is a spaceman. Maybe God himself is from another planet, maybe an advanced society, some sort of advanced planet planetary commission or whatever who, who somehow started life on earth and now guides the evolution. I, I find that silly too. It's, it, it's just crazy where people go when you bring up this kind of 
topic. The other thing you probably ought to know is that those who talk about these things often come right back to the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 1. Because the UFO people out there insist that Ezekiel was a UFO believer. They insist that Ezekiel saw UFOs. And we're going to read chapter 1 together. And honestly, just sort of, I'm not asking you to believe that, but pay attention to how Ezekiel describes what he sees. Because it kind of sounds like some of the UFO sightings that you may have seen on the X-Files. Ezekiel chapter 1. Now, this is not a UFO. Can I just say that? But pay attention to it. Ezekiel chapter 1, verse, I'm going to start verse 1. On July 31st of my 30th year, how old is he? He's 30, okay. While I was with the Judean exiles beside the Kabar River in Babylon, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. This happened during the fifth year of King Jehoiakim's captivity. The Lord gave this message to Ezekiel, son of Buzzi, a priest, beside the Kabar River in the land of the Babylonians, and he felt the hand of the Lord take hold of him. All right, pay attention. As I looked, I saw a great storm coming from the north, driving before it a huge cloud that flashed with lightning and shone with brilliant light. There was fire inside the cloud, and then the middle of the fire glowed something like gleaming amber, like like burnished, polished metal, the Hebrew says. From the center of the cloud came four living beings that looked human, except that each had four faces. That's not like any human I've ever seen. Four faces and four wings. Their legs were straight, and their feet had hooves like those of a calf and shone like burnished bronze. Under each of their four wings, I could see human hands. So each of the four beings had four faces and four wings. The wings of each living being touched the wings of the beings beside it. Each one moved straight forward in any direction without turning around. That's interesting. Each had a human face in the front, the face of a lion on the right side, the face of an ox on the left side, the face of an eagle on the back. Each had two pairs of outstretched wings, one pair stretched out to touch the wings of the living beings on either side of it, and the other pair covered its body. They went in whatever direction the Spirit chose, and they moved straight forward in any direction without turning around. The living beings looked like bright coals of fire or brilliant torches, and lightning seemed to flash back and forth among them. And the living beings darted to and fro like flashes of lightning. What? What? As I looked at these beings, I saw four wheels touching the ground beside them, one wheel belonging to each. The wheels sparkled as if made of beryl. All four wheels looked alike, and they were made the same. And each wheel had a second wheel turning crosswise within it, a wheel within a wheel. The beings could move in any of the four directions they faced without turning as they moved. The rims of the four wheels were tall and frightening, and they were covered with eyes all around. When the living beings moved, the wheels moved with them. When they flew upward, the wheels went up too. The spirit of the living beings was in the wheels. So wherever the spirit went, the wheels and the living beings also went. When the beings moved, the wheels moved. When the beings stopped, the wheels stopped. When the beings flew upward, the wheels rose up, for the spirit of the living beings was in the wheels. Spread out above them was a surface like the sky, 
glittering like crystal. Beneath this surface, the wings of each living being stretched out to touch the other's wings. And each had two wings covering his body. And as they flew, their wings sounded to me like waves crashing against the shore. Or like the voice of the Almighty. Or like the shouting of a mighty army. Never heard a noise like that, you understand? When they stopped, they let down their wings. And as they stood with wings lowered, a voice spoke from beyond the crystal surface above them. And above this surface was something that looked like a throne made of blue lapis lazuli. And on this throne high above was a figure whose appearance resembled a man. From what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like gleaming amber, flickering like a fire. And from his waist down, he looked like a burning flame, shining with splendor. All around him was a glowing halo, like a rainbow shining in the clouds on a rainy day. This is what the glory of the Lord looked like to me. Underline that sentence right there. This is what the glory of the Lord looked like to me. When I saw it, I fell face down on the ground, and I heard someone's voice speaking to me. UFO? It's interesting. You know, Ezekiel would have been describing something he had never seen before. What if it was a UFO? When he says the wheel within the wheel and the wheels were covered with lights, I mean eyes, you know? He said eyes, lights. What do you think? You ever heard of the golden record? The golden record, actually there are two, I believe, uh, sent out on the Voyager missions by NASA, by our government, but by our very best scientists, you understand? The Voyager spacecraft were sent out in two different directions, one in the northern sky, one in the southern sky. They were sent to explore the outer reaches of space as far as they can go. They're still sending signals back to the earth, which I find fascinating. We sent them out in 1977, I believe, Voyager 1 and Voyager 2. The furthest one out is now 11 billion miles away. 11 billion miles away. They are both past the orbit of Pluto now. That's amazing. And they're intended to go on and on and on and on into an interstellar space. But the thing is, we included in the Voyager space capsules the golden record. You heard about this? It's actually copper, I believe, and it's plated with gold, but it's literally a, a record, and it is intended to tell the story of the earth to anybody out there who finds it. You with me? Is it getting weird yet? This is NASA. They put the golden record on the Voyager uh, space capsules, and so out they go with the story of our planet. There are pictures, all kinds of pictures, so that they can see what we look like. There are also recordings, um, 55 different languages of earthlings saying, hello out there, hello, 55 different languages. And then something like 90 minutes of music, 90 minutes of music, you understand? All kinds of music. Uh, interestingly, I thought the funniest thing they included was uh, Johnny Be Good by Chuck Berry. <laughs> Way down in Louisiana, down in New Orleans. You know, 
I'm telling you, E.T. is going to love that. You understand? <laughs> Down in the woods by the evergreens. Yeah, that's so funny. Uh, oh, oh, my goodness. They sent this out into interstellar space and included kind of this time capsule, including a map of how to come back and find us. I'd have thought twice about that. <laughs> they included a map how to find us. Now, uh, I just let me say this those scientists must have more faith than they acknowledge because to send out a spacecraft with a record, assuming that whoever finds us is going to have a record player? <laughs> I mean, now, that is faith. I mean, it may be atheist, but that's faith. That, that's faith. That's interesting. President Jimmy Carter at the time, he recorded a greeting. Hello out there. I mean, Jimmy Carter, his voice is on that and, and, and just on the outside chance that one day it crashes uh, and, and the Klingons find it. It's interesting how even smart people just can't stop thinking about that. The idea that there really might be something out there and there really might be, I guess. Interesting what that means. Interesting the way the, the UFO culture in, a, in our own nation exists. You know, right now, they've been, I don't know if it's been on yet. I don't have cable, but they've been advertising the show where they're going to dissect that itty-bitty alien they found in the desert of Peru, was it? But it's only about this long? How disappointing. It's like E.T. is supposed to be an alien life form, but, but it's only like this long. And my question is, if he's only like this tall, why is he flying in one of those gigantic UFOs? I mean, you know, he's, he's this tall. But, but it's funny how people get really interested in, in that. The whole UFO thing is, is, really, is really fascinating. Now, UFO just stands for what? Unidentified flying object, which just means what? It's flying. It's an object. We don't know what it is. Yeah, yeah. It's flying. It's an object. We just don't, we don't know what it is. But, but not knowing is somehow uh, invites a lot of imagination. We don't know what is out there, but, but we sure begin to wonder and, and, and in some cases make things up. Which brings us to Ezekiel. You know, the people who have UFO sightings, that they describe things like this. And again, just sort of get inside their head for a minute, not forever, but for a minute. I mean, understand, Ezekiel does see something that's, that's unidentified. He, he's really describing something that he's never seen before, and he didn't expect to see, and he wasn't looking for it on this day either. Understand, Ezekiel is, is a Jewish man, a God-fearer. He's a priest, or at least he would be. He's a priest. But he's in exile. The people of God have been defeated. Jerusalem has been destroyed. The temple has been destroyed. And now they're in exile. He's a prisoner. He's a slave laborer on a canal now in Babylon. And so he must wonder in all the world if he's alone now. Is God still there? You see, they always assumed that God lived in Jerusalem. They, They did. They really somehow believed that the Holy of Holies, that, that that's where God's glory dwelt, there in the temple at Jerusalem. And now that they're not in Jerusalem, and now that the temple's not in Jerusalem, and now that all of that is gone, they must just wonder if, if God's gone too. He mentions that it's his 30th year, which is important because for a Jewish man who's a priest, that would be the year that he would begin serving in the temple. 
this would be the time when when Ezekiel would be taken up by God into service and he would begin to serve God in his holiness in the temple. But all that seems so far away. You understand that Ezekiel must feel very, very alone in the universe at this point. And he sees something he never expects to see. First, he describes creatures. How many of them are there? Describes four creatures. Kind of human, but, but not really human. I mean, not like anybody I've seen in Warren County anyway. I mean, they, they've got four faces, and, and it's hard to understand what he's describing. Now, remember, when we started out in this sermon series, Paranormal Activity, we tried to talk about what was normal. And I described to you that in, in, in all of God's creation that there are spiritual creatures and then physical creatures that, that inhabit the earth. But, but there are spiritual creatures, and often when they're described, they look like this. So they have four faces, and the thing is, he describes something that's able to go in any direction. It, it just can move, and, and then it's not following physical laws, you understand? It, it can just turn and, and go. And, and people say UFOs do that. You see, this is why people read this and say, my goodness, this, is, this sounds like a UFO. And, and then each of the creatures is beside a wheel, actually, now begin to Connect these dots and draw this picture in your own head. There are four creatures and there are four wheels, but the wheels are different too. What's different about the wheels? Each wheel is a wheel within a wheel. You get that? Wheel within a wheel, which suggests that those wheels are able to turn in any direction at any time. Again, they just fly. They just move in whatever direction the Spirit leads. So four creatures with four wheels... And then above the wheels is a platform, a, a, a platform. So what he's describing is some sort of craft, or I guess in Ezekiel's day we'd say a, a chariot. Again, four wheels that are supporting a platform, and on that platform is, is something like a man. So there is this visitation that Ezekiel receives that day out, out, by, the, out by the canal in, in Babylon, and he didn't expect it. And he has a really hard time explaining what he's seeing. What's he seeing? Now he has a hard time explaining it, but he doesn't have a hard time telling you what it is. What is it? This is what the glory of the Lord looked like to me. Okay, so Ezekiel has a hard time explaining it, but he certainly knows what it is. It is the glory of the Lord. Now, interestingly, he doesn't say it was God. It's not that God visited him on a, on a four-wheeled chariot. He's not saying it's God. It's God's glory. So, so that's interesting. It's a part of God. It's some reflection of God. But he's not saying God came to me in a chariot with four wheels. You with me? It's, it's God's glory. I saw God's glory. And he describes it, and as he describes it, the words just fall apart in his mouth. There just aren't words. And he describes it best he can in the words and images that he knows. But I'm telling you, it, it, it's somewhat unidentifiable because he'd never seen anything like it. And neither have you. Neither have you. But he still knows what it is. It's the glory of the Lord. So don't miss that. Don't miss the point of this passage before the UFO people mess it up completely. Don't you be unclear about what happens here. 
Ezekiel and the people are feeling alone in the universe because they're God's people. And they assume that God's glory stayed in Jerusalem. They assume that God dwelt there in the temple, in the Holy of Holies. But all of that is gone now. So now the big question is, where is God? When God's people are suffering, when God's people are prisoners... When I, supposedly, supposed to be a priest of God on my 30th year, supposedly should be, begin serving God, I'm as far away from God, it seems, and as far away from the temple. Where is God? And then what happens? God rolls in. You understand? The glory of God rolls into Babylon. And that's an amazing vision, an amazing message, because that means God is with him. It means the glory of the Lord doesn't dwell somewhere light years away. The glory of the Lord is right there with Ezekiel and all the rest of his people. God's glory is with them. And God is going to use him, and he is going to serve God, and he's going to speak for God. He's going to be God's prophet. Do you understand? What he sees is the glory of the Lord. It's amazing. It's beautiful. It's brilliant. It's beyond comprehension. It's totally unexpected. But somebody might say, well, Brother Tim, what if these things go together? What if it really was something more like a spaceship? You know, wheel within a wheel, maybe the eyes are lights. Maybe he sees something more like a spaceship. Maybe God is kind of like a spaceman. Now, that may sound silly to some of you. Others of you are thinking, hmm, but, 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 but you need to understand that this is something that people actually say. Something people actually say, that, that maybe God is, is, is from far out there somewhere. He's just a very superior, advanced being from, from out in space somewhere who, who somehow knows us, affects us, visits us. Maybe he's just some sort of spaceman. You realize that the whole Mormon church teaches this? I mean, that's Mormon doctrine. I'm not making this up. When you get home, why don't you Google the word Kolob, K-O-L-O-B, Kolob, and you'll go to Wikipedia or any place else, and Kolob is the name of the planet or the star. They haven't decided that the Mormon scholars still debate whether Kolob is a planet or a star, but, but they name Kolob as the star or the planet, the celestial body that is nearest to where God lives. God's throne, you see, is, is in the universe. It's out there by Kolob. Now, that sounds in some ways really smart, and I suppose people would, would be relieved to have that sort of question answered. But, but I'm telling you, that's not the God of Scripture. That, that's not the God of Scripture. God is not a spaceman. God does not need a flying saucer to come visit you. Do you understand this? Do you understand how that shrinks God down? God of, of wonders beyond our galaxy. You are holy, holy. That's what we sang this morning. He's beyond the galaxy. He's the creator of the universe, creator of the multiverse, if you will. He's outside of it. He's not inside it. Not inside like a creature. When they dedicated the temple in Jerusalem, even at the dedication, they acknowledged that highest heaven cannot contain him. 
You understand, the entire universe cannot contain him. He is not a, a, a creature. He is not uh, some being uh, out there on another planet uh, among other beings. You understand? You ever heard Willie Ray say, he's God all by himself? That's what it means, isn't it? He's God all by himself. He ain't out there on a planet with, with other celestial beings. Did you understand? He's the creator of everything that is, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, and everything that is was created by him and through him and for him. He's not a space man. He's not some advanced being out there on, on another planet. He created all the planets. Don't be deceived. Be pulled into that sort of thinking. Okay, but what if, what if they really find life out there? I, I, they may find a bacteria or something and they're salivating over that, but what if they really found something intelligent? What would that mean? Now, again, lots of scientists insist that if something like that could be found, if you could find another planet with life similar to Earth, that, that automatically you have disproven God. You've eliminated the need for any sort of belief in God. And, and none other than Stephen Hawking says this. He, he says this. Because if you can prove that there's life on other planets, if you can prove that, that other, uh, other places have what Earth has, then that makes Earth unspectacular. In other words, we're not unique in the universe. We're not the focus of a creator and his purposes. In other words, it just proves that life is just sort of inevitable in the universe, that life creates itself. It doesn't need a creator. And so, therefore, if you could find or validate in any way a trace of life in other places, then it just means that the universe itself creates itself. What? I, I don't understand that at all. I, I don't understand that line of reasoning. For one thing, God is God all by himself. And the scripture says he sits on his throne and does what he pleases. He sits on his throne and does what he pleases. And, and so if it pleases God to fill the universe with life, I mean, have at it, God. It's your universe. So I said, Brother Tim, what would you say? What would you say if, if, if they came back and found life on Mars? What would you say? You know what I'd say? Cool. It's just cool. Man, this is cool. I mean, it's all God's. It's all God's, and he can do absolutely whatever he wants. And, and, and honestly, when God created the heavens and the earth, notice, notice God's style here because God's awesome. When God wanted to create birds, Read the book of Genesis. When God created birds, he didn't just make like a, a, little, a little boy bird and a little girl bird and say, go, go, go to it. You know, go lay an egg. No. What did he do? He let the sky explode with birds. He filled it with birds. When God wanted to inhabit the sea with creatures, he didn't just make a little fish and another little fish. He just said, let the ocean teem with creatures. I mean, he filled the ocean with stuff. We, don't, we haven't even discovered it all yet. Ugly stuff down in there. God just filled it up. He filled it. When God wanted to create life, he filled the earth with life. So what if the same God who created the universe filled the universe with life? It's a great God. 
a great guy. You find life elsewhere. It just makes God greater. It doesn't make God absent. And honestly, sometimes as Christians, as Bible believers, we set ourselves up for this. We set ourselves up for this by always opposing science, by always arguing and always disagreeing and always being absent from the conversation. We need more Christians, believers, who are also excited about science. We need some people who will study the universe that God made it honestly and come back and tell the truth about what they find. Because everything they find will only take you deeper and deeper and deeper into the mind of a mysterious and powerful creator. It's not us against them. It's not the Bible against science. Scripture says the earth is the Lord and everything in it. It's all God's. So look at it, study it, dissect it, take it apart. It'll just show you more and more and more of the majesty and beauty of the creator. I promise. I promise. So there could be life out there, and it wouldn't change anything. It just makes things exciting. But, but do you think that there is? Again, the God who filled the sky with birds and, and flooded the ocean with fish and creatures, would he really have just made one tiny planet in all of the multiverse, just one little, little marble, and, and put... Creatures there different in all the universe. I mean, I mean, creatures in his image who could think his thoughts and choose and, and praise him. If, if they find life on other planets, does that mean that we're less special? That, that we're not unique? Well, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't really know. I, I just don't know. I say no, it doesn't make us less unique. How many of you come from a family where your parents had more than one child? You have, you have brothers and sisters. Raise your hand. Yeah. See, my parents had my sister Tracy first, and Tracy's a wonderful daughter. But, but when they turned around and had me, did that make Tracy less special? I mean, they did save the best for last, but, did, but that... <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. My sister's on the stage. I'm so sorry. Does it make... That first child less special? Parents, tell me the answer to that. Yeah, absolutely not. Absolutely not. You don't, you don't cut the love in half and, and somehow once you have more than one child, then all of a sudden the, the first one's less special. Oh, my goodness. Love multiplies. It, it doesn't divide. You understand? And so if it turns out that there are other, other creatures on other planets and understand God loves them, but it doesn't take anything away from God's love for us, he's fully capable of loving and loving and loving, and there's just no limit to his love. But here's what I think. Just reading Scripture, and Scripture doesn't say a, a word about life on other planets, and that doesn't mean there can't be, understand? doesn't mean there can't be. But so much of what the Bible says is very focused on, on our race, the human race. Verses like in Romans where it says that all of creation, all of creation, you understand? All of creation groans and waits for, for the purposes that God has for us, the human race. All of creation groans and waits for us to be made perfect as the children of God. You understand? All of creation somehow groans and, and waits for 
us. There's also the whole point of the incarnation, how God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. You understand, God came down and became one of us. He walked on this planet. He became one of us, one of our species, one of our race. He became one of us. And he died here for us. There's just something about the shape of the gospel that makes me lean toward the idea that in all of the universe, we are the chosen creatures to bear God's image and become his children. I tend to think we're the only ones. That's just me. But why do people even talk about this stuff? I mean, you know, the, the, the scientists, the, the ones who are atheists who say that there is no God, why would they put a golden record on a ship and send it out with Johnny B. Good and Chuck Berry on it? I mean, and Jimmy Carter saying howdy. Who are they saying howdy to? And, and the world of folks who see UFOs, just unidentified things, a weather balloon, I, I don't know what it could be, but they immediately go to, there must be someone out there, someone smart, someone who's, whose attention is on me, and, and they immediately write these incredible stories about what's happened. The people who tell stories of being taken up, and, and the aliens talk to them, abducted. And Where does that come from? That, that interest, that fascination, where does that come from? I know a lot of you aren't interested at all. You don't get this, and I can probably explain it to you why right here. It has to do with the gospel. I think what we see is how hungry people are for the gospel. Now, most of you know the gospel, the good news of Jesus. You know the creator. You understand the universe. You know your purpose. Your, your whole heart is satisfied and nourished in the truths of the gospel. But people who do not know Christ, people who do not know the gospel, do you understand? It doesn't change the fact that God made them, that God created them, that they too are intended to be a temple for the Holy Spirit of the living God. They were created with that purpose. And all they don't know that purpose or recognize that purpose, it doesn't change the fact that God made them. They are still in his image, and there is some empty place in their heart that longs for God, just longs for him. I think that's why people just grasp at stuff. They want to believe in something. You can call yourself an atheist or agnostic or whatever you want to call yourself, but I would argue with you there is still in you this deep, deep desire to believe in something, to somehow anchor your life in something bigger than just you. Honestly, you don't want to believe. You can't stand the thought that you are alone in all the universe. Atheist scientist still somehow recording, they made a mixtape of 90 minutes and sent it out into nothingness in the hope that somebody, somebody's out there that will hear them say hello. Do you understand? We just can't bear the thought that we might be alone. That's the beauty of the gospel, that Ezekiel, 
30-year-old man standing out there, a prisoner, a slave laborer in the land of Babylon, so far from his home, so far from everything he had known and loved, so far from God in his mind, so far from the temple, in the place where you imagine God dwelt, but all of a sudden, in the middle of an ordinary day, God's glory explodes in the sky, and Ezekiel knows that God is there, that God is with him, that God is still calling him, that God is going to use him, that his life has a purpose. Everybody wants that. Everybody wants that. So listen, listen, it is a gigantic universe, and you are very small, very small, but you are not alone, and you are not unloved and your life was not created just for emptiness just for nothingness you were not created just for doubt you were created to be in a relationship a real relationship with the maker of heaven and earth the God beyond the galaxies how he even knows us, how he knows your name, how he continues every single day never to take his eye off you, never, ever to withdraw his affection for you, how he knows you and me is impossible to understand. But my heart sure longs to know that that's true. Understand, we live in a culture that believes less and less about God, believes less and less in Christ and in the scriptures, but will believe almost anything else you want to tell them. They will believe utter stupidity. They'll stake their lives on shallow silliness. They long for the gospel. They want to know that there is a God who loves them and comes to them. That is the news that we have to proclaim. So you need to be telling it. The world needs to know. For that matter, you need to be reminded you're not alone. The maker of the universe has his eye and his heart on you. Learn to know him. Learn to trust him. Put your faith in him. Pray with me. Lord God, even as I begin to say these words in prayer, 
My voice must be the tiniest thing in the universe right now. My voice is the tiniest thing. People outside this very room can't hear it. Beyond the walls of this building, it would be completely unheard. My voice must be the tiniest thing in all the universe. And yet, you hear me. From beyond the edges of space, you hear me. You listen when I call. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would come into this room. Bless us with your presence. Let every lonesome heart know that they are not alone. Let every doubting mind believe and find faith. Let every lost and empty soul be found and filled by you. Lord Jesus, just as the scripture says, the world tends to forsake the worship of the creator and instead focus on the creation. We trade the truth for lies. Lord Jesus, I pray that within the sound of my tiny voice, we will hear the truth and believe the truth and live the truth, the truth that is Christ. We thank you, Jesus. Thank you for loving us, knowing us, making us, and filling our lives with purpose. May we never wander or forget. We pray these things in your holy and powerful name. Amen.